Dika Esha Usak Das Ha Thanai. Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. With me from Maryland is my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. And in the great state of Wisconsin, we have William Annis. Hello. The unlovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you seen his picture? Huh? Have you seen Will? Will's picture? Yeah, but I'm just making fun of it because you always say I'm lovely, but you never say he's lovely. Because he's a dude. <laughs> don't I don't care. Call dudes lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um. Uh, I got stuff from the fact that he's William, not Wilhelmina. <laughs> I don't think I've been called dude in quite a long time either. Bianca, as we're recording this, you're finally going to be moving. Yes. So, I guess our next episode that I'm in, whenever that is, I'll be in England. By the way. Well, good luck with that. I hope everything arrives as it should. So, you're going to be in England. Yes. That's good news. We'll be probably changing the recording time, too, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Yes. Anyway, so... Last week, we tried to talk about tense and aspect, and we found out the tense was too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll be easy. Past, present, future. Who cares? We're done. No. And then, and then we start talking about, oh, uh, you have remote past, and, and you have various different distinctions in past and future, and you can have relative te- tenses and all this, and then... Long story short, we split that, and we're going to just do this part as a three-part series, and so we're doing aspect today, and then mood next week. So I feel, I feel like we should call this the holy trinity of verbs, uh, <laughs> even though uh, they I, don't necessarily have to go I with beat them. you to that already, because I already wrote the blog post for the first one. Pretty sure and, I said it before that, too. I think I said the Holy Verbal Trinity or something. Regardless. But, yes. So, aspect... uh, Tense and aspect are the easiest to get confused, right? Because tense deals with when in time something happened. Aspect, I would say, to put it as simply as possible, is to say it is how something happens in time. So, whether it happened continuously, whether it's a something that's habitual, whether whether it's a single event. And whether it's you, finished what, doing what it's doing. Yeah. What would you say to that, William? You say that's a good sort of sum up for it? It's sort of a good sum up, but the issue is even deeper, more complicated than that. <laughs> Aspect in the strictest sense just describes sort of a temporal window or temporal flow or a lack of such a thing 
how it appears to the point of view of the speaker. This is very important. If I say, I was going to the store yesterday, and I went to the store yesterday, I've used two different aspects, but I'm describing an identical act. But yeah. I use I use the aspects for discourse reasons, and you know what's most important and, and how it fits in with the with the rest of what I'm saying. This is complicated by the fact that most verbs have something called lexical aspect. There's an intrinsic time or or duration or lack of duration associated with any verb. So then you have the mix of grammar aspect and lexical aspect, and people get all confused because they start thinking. Uh, I, I ran into this a lot when people were first trying to figure out not the verbs, which are much more aspect-obsessed than they are tense-obsessed. And people were constantly getting confused because a word like sleep seems inherently durative. It goes on for a long time. So the idea that that would occur in the perfect was very confusing to people. But that has to do with the, the lexical aspect of the verb, which is completely independent of the grammatical aspect. <laughs> that is an interesting thing that you would bring up sleep. Because I remember from Spanish classes that if you use sleep in the imperfect, it means he was sleeping. It, it, it's the the act of being asleep but if you use it in the preterite it usually means someone fell asleep exactly and that's a very common distinction as well in ancient greek you're constantly having to think about the lexical aspect especially um is the verb telic or not that is does it have an obvious end point um interacts with, with aspect in funky ways such that a inherently atelic verb, like be sick, when used in the perfective aspect means to get sick. And it can never ever mean that with something like sleep. See, that's interesting. Not not sleep. It, it can't mean that with something like, you know, sit down or sneeze or whatever. It can't have that sense. Oh, okay. That's something interesting uh, that you can do that with perfective and imperfective. I did something similar in one language I was working on that I actually used inceptive to make that distinction happen. Sure, and, and some languages have a separate inceptive. Why don't we roll back and talk about just the perfective and the imperfective because they're the most fundamental. Yeah, those are the most common. And then we can so. go on to the, the, the world of, of aspectual exotica from there. <laughs> Okay, so perfective, imperfective, you probably will run into this in a lot of languages. Even, I think even English has it to some degree, though it's sort of complicated the way it functions. But right, well, we talked about this last time. Tense and aspect are the markers that are so likely to get jumbled together that it sometimes becomes difficult to talk about just tense or just aspect in languages when they're all mixed up. So English puts us at a disadvantage. My point of reference for it is in Spanish. So this is a, a, an entanglement of tense and aspect because it's 
only in the past tense that you see this distinction, and you see there's the preterite form, which is, you can call it perfective, because that's what it is, and the imperfective form. And perfective, I'm, just to explain for the listeners, refers to sort of an event that's complete in the past. Am I right basically saying that? No, well, here's... <laughs> When people say complete, my head explodes. Okay. We're, we're not necessarily describing an action that is complete. We are presenting it as a packaged event. Right. Okay. So that, that might hint at completion, especially in the past. It may, depending on the, the, the lexical aspect, may very strongly imply completion. But that is not the fundamental job of the perfective aspect. It does not indicate completion. It is a presentation of the act as an indissolvable whole. Yeah. It, like, I went to the store. I clearly okay. had worse teachers than you, George, because my teachers were like, preterit, preterit, preterito, preterit, all right. Um, the preterit is a wall, and the imperfect is a wave, and that's about all I got. <laughs> okay, here. <laughs> Here, um, I think the best way to explain it is with an example, and I'll take an example from Spanish. Okay, so you have, say, somebody says, cuando uh, escribía, él me inter interrumpió. While I was writing, he interrupted me. That's sort of a common way to... So... Yes, you have the, the wave, first... and then it hits the wall. Yeah, so while I was writing... how great my teacher was? Yeah. <laughs> while I was writing is an imperfective, and it's right. presenting that event as something that's going ongoing yes. at the time, at this point in the narrative. And then he interrupted me, is perfective, and it's presented as a single event. In this case, interrupting the literally interrupting the the imperfective thing you were describing. Sure. So I've heard two descriptions of these, of the perfective-imperfective distinction. Um, it's not quite as poetic as the one Bianca's teachers gave her. The yeah. first is, the imperfective is a movie, the perfective is a snapshot. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Right. And from the discourse perspective, and this I find far more useful once people get used to thinking about discourse matters. The imperfective is for background. The perfective is for foreground. Yeah. You, just, uh, you describe the, the, the background conditions and situations in the imperfective, and then you use the perfective to describe the relevant actions in front of it. If I were walking on the street, and I ran up to a complete stranger, and I said, I was going to the bookstore, they would want me to say something after that uh -huh. because I've used the imperfective I am setting them up, I've given them background and now I should say something that's true, when you were giving these examples earlier, like I was going to the store I was like, and then what happened? exactly, exactly So then I was hit by a bus <laughs> exactly, or yes, right. Or in my case, I was trying to catch a bus <laughs> and I, I broke a tendon um, so I, I find those, especially the foreground-background distinction, 
is far more useful a starting place to really get at the core of aspect, because that's what aspect means, right? A view. And then the aspects then start to move out and take on other sorts of senses, so that your imperfective almost always also means progressive or habitual activity. And yeah. your perfective then starts to bleed into the sense of completion um, more overtly. That's what drives me nuts. The past progressive and the imperfect, I have a very hard time with. In Spanish, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they seem very similar, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> probably because, probably because, as we were noting, we, as you might note from the examples in English that we're giving, we kind of use the past progressive forms to note sort of a an imperfective. Sure. I would consider them imperfectives, frankly. Yeah. So, um, now that we have that basic distinction, and I know that looking at different languages... It seems like it can be very easy when you have someone from a language that's very tense-heavy from a la- to a language that's very aspect-heavy. It's very common for somebody to mistake a perfective for a past tense. I right. Think. Yes, I think that's right, too. Mm, I see that in Mandarin all the time. People thinking of le as a past tense, which is actually uh, an aspect marker. Right. Um, and but, it's a little, honestly, it, it's a little unnerving. If you're used to a tense language to be thrown into a language that no longer has it, that, <laughs> um, that was honestly one of the more puzzling parts to me about Chinese getting comfortable with the idea that actually adverbs can do the job of tense. <laughs> adverbs <laughs> yeah. and context actually are enough. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I kind of got used to it and internalized it, but there's still a little bit of in in me. I'm like, what? Um, the uh, a little bit of me that has trouble with the fact with the uh, like difference between le and guo, sure. which we could kind of talk more about. I think we've got the the perfective and perfective stuff down, but there's so many more aspects uh, that you can throw in. In fact, I may just link to the the big Wikipedia list of aspects because there's there's lots of them. There's there's, there's a ton of them. Yeah, you probably so, if you have any aspects, you'll probably have perfective and perfective. But you have inceptive, you have durative, you have all sorts of insanity. Well, there's a, there are a few that are more common than others. Mm-hmm. I think the usitative, which sometimes gets called the the habitual, which is, you know, I used to do something. So you got habitual where you do something characteristically all the time. The usitative has the idea of something that used to be regular, but is no longer. I used to run to catch the bus. 
<laughs> I had not. Now I, I hobble. <laughs> now I hobble. I right. had never heard of that as a specific aspect, actually. Sure, sure. So that's really common. And then you have inceptive or inchoative, which is inceptive usually means just to start to do something. And encoative is usually the same idea, but for statives. So the idea of, you know, I got sick is an encoative, whereas I started to read the book is an inceptive. But some languages conflate the two of those. Yeah, Inyout conflates the two. Right. I don't call them by their fancy name. I just call it the starting one. Sure. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was encoative again? That's that's entering into a state. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of just called. Well, maybe it doesn't. I'm very like, Inyout is very crap in that. It doesn't really have that many state of verbs. Um, but well, that's not important. Yeah. It does have the one, like, I'm about to do this, which I think is what you're getting at. Or is am I wrong? Uh, no, the, the about to, sometimes called the perspective, is yet another. Yeah. So that's, that kind can... of a, that's kind of a mix and aspect of test. Yeah. I mean, the, the big example of something that completely confuses both aspect and test is the... English, or, or rather the sort of Western European perfect. Mm-hmm. I have eaten indicates that a past act can, you know, has consequences in the present. Yeah, and, and do, um, retrospective might be a better term for it because it's, you, you because you don't want to confuse perfect with perfective because they're entirely different things. They're completely different things. I hate have. the fact that the words are so similar. I'm like, I really? Know. It's very <laughs> uh, But, um, yeah, those... Yeah, the the perfect is kind of a weird one because... It, well, um, uh, one thing I notice is... So we mentioned in our tense thing that future is the moodiest of the tenses. Mm-hmm. I think past might be the most aspect-driven well, of the tenses. That's probably true. I think because it's also kind of true that you talk in the past more. We do. I mean, yeah. it, you're not going to talk about what you're doing now because you're doing it, you know, and you're not going to talk about the future because you don't know what the hell's happening. But you yeah. do know what did happen, or at least so, pretend. Yeah, but I still would say, like, there are certain aspects, like a habitual or a progressive or something, that can be linked to the to the present. But, like, the perfective, imperfective, those exist in the past tense, man. Um, with languages without tense, they're used for everything. Um. Very, very few languages have an overt present perfective. A few do, but it tends to do weird things like turn into a future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's what happened in Bulgarian, which technically has, you know, that box filled in the intersection of present. I, I think it's Bulgarian. I forget. Don't hold me to that. Um, <laughs> I I have heard um, in Chinese people use la, which is basically a perfective uh-huh. in the present to mean uh, like Wolaila would be I'm coming now. But it's the, a change I think of state. It's, it's to indicate that you've Yeah. Right. It seems but I think seems, that I think that's a different la. 
Yeah, the, the fact is, is too many different things. It's hard to actually <laughs> tie it down to one thing, so... Yeah. So, the only thing I wanted to add, in addition to, you know, the sort of pasty sense that the perfective might take on, and the sort of progressive or habitual sense the imperfective might turn on, the perfective in a number of languages I've, I've seen gets used to indicate a anterior past. So in complex sentences, in English, we use very confusingly the past perfect. After I had run to catch the bus, <laughs> my tendon was no longer attached properly. Right? So I'm describing something in the past, and I need to go even, you know, the past of the past or the anterior past. In, in a number of different languages I've seen, the perfective gets used for that. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's normal. I think that's, that's, that's a general habit outside of even European languages. By the way, I think I, I failed to actually put this in the last episode. This example about uh, running to the bus and having some injury, this is something that actually happened to William recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the splint comes off tomorrow. It will be good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that's why I keep using that as an example. So, I, mean, I think a lot of using the perfect goes back to I think what I was saying last time where it actually has more reference like I think regular past in English at least you know you have the present reference because you're in there and then that's the secondary reference of an act that was before that and the perfect I think has three and I wish I hadn't sold my book now but I did so I could look it up and not be foolish <laughs> Well, English uses the perfect to indicate experience. Well, it does. I have eaten foie gras. Is a statement yeah. of something I've done at some indefinite time in the past. And then other languages actually have like a specific right. So Mandarin, like, yeah, has an experiential marker. Yeah. So is that? Would you call that an aspect? Gosh, I don't know. Some you get some of these things, and it becomes really hard to tell what's going on here. Yeah, that's. I don't know what you call that. Yeah, I don't know either. I think it usually gets qualified. Get, you know, it will be in the same chapter that "la" occurs, assuming "la" has not gotten its own thing. So it's sort of grouped with aspect because uh -huh. it because it, it has similar morphology and well, similar syntax rather. But yeah, I don't know. Actually, honestly. Chinese is not the best example, even though it's an aspect-heavy language, just because it's so hard to peel apart what the aspects are. Yes. Well, that generally happens with aspect. Yes, and then we... Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just... Never mind. And we haven't even talked about the, the, the complete madness that is Navajo yet. Oh, so tell us about Navajo. I love Navajo. I love Navajo so much. It has 11 primary aspects and 10 sub-aspects. Yay! Oh, so, dear. Oh, dear's right. The, te the 10 sub-aspects can cross-cut with all of the primary aspects, in theory. Some of them don't make any semantic sense, so they don't occur. And some of the sub-aspects can even co-occur. Um, and because it's Navajo, determining what an aspect and what a sub-aspect are in play involves some horrible combination of prefixes in different 
slot, uh, template slots and the verbs then chosen. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, let's, they don't call them these in Navajo. They give them different names, which is annoying, but they have the perfective and imperfective as primary aspects. They have the repetitive, which indicates an action that is done over and over again. They have something called the semifactive, which describes a single act. Mm. There is a diversative, which indicates that either the subject of an intransitive verb, the object or indirect object of a transitive verb, is that it involves movement here and there, to and fro. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a conative, which indicates that there's an attempt to do something, but it's coded like it's coded like an aspect. Um, although for non-goal-oriented, so for atelic verbs in ancient Greek, if you use them in, in the imperfective, it can mean that you are trying to do something. So that's another case where things get complicated. And, and I'm not going to go through all of the, the, the primary aspects of Navajo because there's a bunch of, some of it's lexical, and we'll talk about that in a second. Reminds me, um, in Spanish, actually, if you put something, if you say you tried to do something, if you put that something, the, the verb of what you were trying to do, or you have to, it's the verb, what's the verb for to try? It fails me at the moment. Uh, to try tratar, what? Tratar? No, tratar de... But anyway, there's something about if you put it in imperfective, it means you tried and you failed. But if you put it in perfective, it means you tried and succeeded. Okay. That's, yeah, that's well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... And then when we get to the sub-aspects, we get to some of these things like to start doing something, the inceptive, the terminative, to stop doing something. Um, my favorite is the semi-iterative, which means to do something one more time. There's a marginal aspect, which involves several prefixes, that means that you started to do something and were interrupted, but haven't picked it up again yet. Okay. Um, I feel now, like these are useful. Yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, some of them are good. Um, now, some of this, especially both within the aspects and both and within the sub aspects, to say that these are available in Navajo is a little misleading. Some of them are pretty lexical. Okay. So your your verb stems at the simplest tend to be extremely generic concepts, from which many but are altogether different verbs in, in other languages are derived by combining, you know, marking a telic or atelic and, and various kinds of repetition and, and so on. Some of the aspects and um, sub-aspects are only used with verbs of motion. Some are only used with verbs of, uh, well, effectively verbs for giving um, and, and that. So it's a very complicated system, but it's not like every verb has that entire chart available. Mm. Which is good because who wants 110 <laughs> aspect markers? Oh Crazy people. Oh my god. Anyway, so, so that constrains things a lot. So this sounds terrifying, but much of it will be memorized, especially by speakers of other languages and, and probably even in sort of the intuitive sense that native speakers have. It's simply a different verb. Okay. Not, not and this. This analysis is very, um, you know, pulling things apart and and might be useful, but it's probably not how people are thinking about things when they're speaking. Okay. 
So it's, you could almost say that if you get, like, tons and tons of aspects, they can turn into a derivational thing. Sure, sure, I think that's right. Um, one of the guys who is most, the, the guy who is most responsible for the sort of fan compiled not be dictionary decided to, he was going to spend exactly six, uh, 30 days and he was going to invent a language. And he borrowed a lot of the, this sort of primary and, and secondary aspect system of Navajo. And after he was finished with the language, he realized he had no idea how to use the aspect system he had produced for himself. <laughs> This has happened to me before. I'm it's sure it not... happens to lots of language inventors. They said, this is cool, and they go crazy and like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, this, this happened to me slightly, but not with aspects specifically, with other things. But uh, I won't go into that now. But anyway... So uh, I guess I've talked about all these complicated aspects, and if people want to go back and think about them, I want to really reemphasize that this is about presenting an act. It doesn't necessarily you can you can describe the same event with many different aspects, and nothing about the event has changed. It's just how you're presenting it in the in the the larger discourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can have a picture of something, but what you focus on in that picture can easily right. change. Right. Yeah, right. and it's yeah, it's it's as much about what you're thinking as it is about how the the forget my early explanation of trying to say it's it's how it happened, but it's it's how you're how telling you... it happening. <laughs> right. And yeah. and. When you're documenting your language and you're doc, and if you're going with lots of aspects, you need to give us examples that are complex sentences or that are several sentences occurring together because that's where aspect really shines. Just yeah. give me one sentence with an imperfective in a translation. That should be secondary. <laughs> yeah. In my, in my opinion. Preferably write a narrative in the language so that you get down what the aspects do and then. Sure, that's a good test. Yeah, yeah. It's always a good test for anything. It's a good test for a lot of things, yeah, but aspect really works best in... To to present the distinctions works best in, in the context of more than one thing going on. Yeah, like doing stories will really show a lot. I mean... I agree. Unlike Swedish, has boring verbs and like... <laughs> a narrative is a very important... Uh, part of what language is used for anyway, so it's it's always a good idea. Exactly. But exactly. One last thing I want to say is I'm thinking I don't know if there really are there any languages that lack even the perfective imperfective? I don't know. You mean do you mean grammatically or altogether? Altogether, including perfective. That's... I... <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, Swedish doesn't really, but I don't know if that's just grammatically or if altogether, because I don't really know that much about I'm it. I'm sure, I mean, there's probably lang- plenty of languages that lack it. Um, English lacks it really morphologically. We can't really do it, but there are paraphrastic ways of doing it. Um, yeah, I would say that 
that aspect is intrinsic to the English verb system. It's just coded differently. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say if you haven't really learned it well enough. So I was, I was thinking, I would say, at least the perfective-imperfective distinction, even if you're not going to include it morphologically, you might want to think about how to make it so that you can... Even if you're not, e it's not even going to show up in your grammar as perfective and perfective. But right. Uh, but right. So things like adverbs might get used. Yeah. Something. Right. So in um, in some languages, the adverb already tends to churn quickly because it gets used a lot for marking what's effectively a perfective sense, and eventually gets bled of all sense of already and just becomes a perfective marker. And then they have to invent a new word for already. I have a question. <laughs> How common is it to have tense separate from aspect where, you know, you can have tense markers and aspect markers and then they work together? That sounds highly unnatural to me. I can't think of a single yeah. language where, where that occurs. I mean, where you have tense, you know, a, a complex tense system. I mean, like I said, Navajo is, as you've seen, completely aspect-obsessed. But it, and it doesn't mark past or present, really. It has sort of a, well, there's one kind of pasty thing, but we'll ignore that. <laughs> but it does have, it has a really robust morphological future. Because the future's weird. And it is also, you know, the same sort of thing that happens for the future happens for things like the optative, right? It's very mood-like. Yeah. So... I can't think of a language which has the usual, you know, past versus non-past or whatever, and then also has some sort of separate system. I can't think of anything that does that. I can't either, but you know more than me, so. Yeah. Well, I think... If anyone knows, they should tell us. Yes, um, tell us now. Or three weeks from now. It <laughs> turns out, to, it seems to me like aspect. We covered the basics of it, but if you want to go really crazy with it, you're probably going to have to do some research yourself. Yes. Uh, right. And we can point you into, in a direction to do that, but I think we can move on to Sua, unless you had something to say, Bianca? Nope. Okay. Well, so, our featured conlang today, and forgive me if I mispronounce this, I'm not sure what it is, but it's uh, Silwa or Siwa. And this is created by, what's the name of the guy, Bianca? Um, the form name is Monoba. Okay. I don't believe he's given us his full name. I'll see if I can get, uh, if it's on his thing, but... Uh, right, so, Bianca, you extracted this out of this person, right? You convinced them or, or shamed them into giving us their grammar. I didn't shame them. I told them <laughs> it was very good. I flattered them into it. <laughs> okay. Um, there's then, a difference. He's, he's on the ZBB, right? CBB. I don't know about... CBB. I think okay. he might be on both. Um, um, but I, um, I saw it, and you know how much I love glosses. He always provides... Some fairly long translations with nice sets of glosses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's good. He's good and, with the glossing. You know, I found it interesting, and he also has an audio sample. I don't know if you found that, so, which was also quite interesting. 
So Silla is part of... I'm guessing this entire family is fictional, right? The Olympian oh, yes. language yes. family. That um, it's supposed to be in... Canada. Yeah, in sort of um, eastern Canada. Yeah, it's kind of similar to um, Teva that way, in that it's yeah. kind of a fake language. It has this huge history about, like, it was the that um and it's written like an actual like linguistic study where he talks about so the proto alopians are seem to have been from Eurasia and they may have had contact with Uralic and Finno Ugric or Finno Ugric people but that's not exactly certain what time frame they uh encountered them, all that stuff. And so, I don't know how much Finno-Ugric affects his stuff. You were mentioning that it's mostly Athabascan, which would be... No, no, no. I wouldn't say I, it's I mostly. It doesn't... It's not... He He's clearly... The inventor clearly knows about Athabascan. Okay. But, but there's nothing especially Athabascan about the rest of the language. Okay. I think it sounds... I think they were saying that it sounds quite finno whatever I don't really know anything about those languages so I can't judge it, <laughs> it I can't know everything guys yeah no, we no one can I don't know I can't analyze frankly where the influences come from obviously he created it as an entirely fictional family but um I found a few things interesting and they're very things that make it feel very natural and very like this thing evolved. Like, So I didn't get very far in the grammar, but I did read about the marked and unmarked noun forms with the different with different differences in how the marked form occurs based on the stem. And it's interesting that like, you have certain cases that derive from the unmarked form and some that derive from the marked form. Uh, crickets. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Mm. It is interesting. I don't know what to add it, to that. Honestly, that reminded me a little bit of ablaut grades in in ancient, in uh, Proto-Indo-European, where a word might shift ablaut um, in different parts of the declension. Fortunately, most words did not do this, as I, if I recall correctly, but some did. Oh, okay. Um, but there, you said there was some interesting stuff with aspect in, involved in this. Right, it has uh, this this dual system of primary versus sub aspects. Okay. Um, and just like my Navajo grammar, you have little subsections on primary plus this secondary, primary plus this other secondary. Um, so, right, let's see, we have, let me find that, okay, 47. Can we convince this, the pages aren't written, that's very vexing. Um, can we convince this person to, um, like, let this, I know he's very protective of it, but it'd be nice if, 
other people could look at this language because it's really interesting. It, it deserves to be seen. Yeah. I, I agree. I told, I think he's a bit of a perfectionist in that he wants this to be complete. Unfortunately, by the time it's complete, it'll be like 600 pages long. Yeah, we should, right. we should mention at this point, there are 100, not 30, this, this grammar is 139 pages long and it's still not complete. I think we should also note it's called the learner's introduction. <laughs> It just kills me. If it's learned introduction, <laughs> he should explain his orthography. <laughs> I, I agree. That was the one thing that I found lacking. I mean, 139 pages, there's, it doesn't yeah, explain the, at least, romanization, because he does have another writing system for it. Yeah, there's no orthography, there's no phonology section, which is why I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. But, um, but I, no, I'm not going to fault him on that. There's quite a bit here. Yeah. Honestly, I really hope that um, by the time we get this published, or sometime soon afterward, he gets it online. I'll link it in the show notes if he has it online, but so far he doesn't. Um, he has some stuff out, not like the full thing. You can link to um, the thread on the forums, which has pretty much a couple of links and the audio sample, I think. Okay. But so yeah. he's got he's got a simple tense system of um. I need to find that weird. audio sample. Yeah. Oh, I can link you to it. Okay. So we have things like present habitual conclusive, present habitual inconclusive, present perfective conclusive, and he gives a nice little paragraph explaining some sort of funkiness about what these things mean, and then it usually these two examples, sometimes three, not um. Some of them are not, I would prefer complex sentences to know exactly what's going on, but... Okay. Why don't we play that audio, the audio sample, and then I'll get back, we'll get back to the talk about that, so... Okay. Yes. Sound Hello. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, you interrupted while I, I forgot to set it up so that you could hear. Oh. But, I don't know, listeners heard all of that, so... Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... The sound of it, it doesn't sound uh, so much like a Native American language, and that might be deliberate, at least I, to me. But, yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. Um, honestly, so I found the, the aspect list. <laughs> Siwa has four primary aspects, conclusive, inconclusive, habitual, and perfective. The conclusive and inconclusive to me sound more like lexical aspect. Hmm. Um, and then it has eight secondary aspects. Reversive, which would be like, you know, undo something. Semulfactive, persistive, frequentative, inchoative, subative, habilitative, and diminutive. So some of these... Diminutive. Yeah, I'm going to go see what that means. <laughs> um, yeah, that's odd as an aspect. 
I like Honestly, semi effective though, but that's nice. It's, it's, this language is so big, I don't know if we can really cover everything. The, yeah, I wouldn't even try. Yeah. Oh, it just means you only did an action slightly. <laughs> that's the diminutive aspect? Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's like... A little bit. Hmm. That's a little odd. I wouldn't... I don't know. Well, I mean, if the morphology is identical to an aspect, then it sort of makes sense for it to put it in the aspect, but I'm not sure I would consider that an aspect. Okay. But it hardly well, matters. That's one of those I wonder things. if you could use that to mean, like, I did my homework, but, you know, I kind of half-assed it. <laughs> All right, know. anyway. That's a useful phrase to be... That's uh, a useful verbal... Is there special half-assed mode? <laughs> Can you, Bianca, if he doesn't have something online, can you try to ask him permission for us to post his grammar on our site? I will ask. Um, by the time, by the time this posts, but I don't think we're going to get through, like, talking about everything, and I don't think we're going to do it justice. Oh, I completely agree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna link to the forum thread, and I'm going to hope that he gets his grammar online sometime soon. I mean, even if he doesn't, I know that there's a good amount of translations available, so if anyone enjoys looking at nice glosses and just seeing how it works together, which I like, then at least that's available. But I do wish you would put this up, because it's quite a lot of work to not be seen. Yeah, let's... It has a completely fearsome morphology. Oh, yes. He might like, have noun marking for singular versus plural that as a, a table that fills an entire page and part of another one. Yeah, it's yeah I was like, I wish he had more tables. The, the, uh, the morphology is murderous. I think the way that he did it, the, the, uh, the tables that he did, I think... It's part of how he's trying to present the grammar, which is as a sort of an, a, a, a documentation of, as if it were a documentation of a real language. Uh-huh. So, even though it's called the learner's grammar. Yeah. Yeah, even though in Spanish I've gotten plenty of tables of stuff. <laughs> and so. I'm pretty sure those don't really do the tables up front as much. But uh, it there were some sections where I was wishing he had actually some examples where he didn't. But in the most for the most part he had tons of examples. Yeah. Um yeah. but I think why don't we before we are run run too long on time why don't we move on to the feedback? And because we're not going to talk about everything in this language, <laughs> too big. We'd be I'll just say that I hours. we would be talking for eight hours. I can say that just one quick thing I want to say that I really liked is I always enjoy seeing another language that is preoccupied with um, agency and control. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So, did you do something on purpose or did you trip? which some languages, especially Native American languages, can be very fussy about, and this one is also, which I like. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I quite like that. I was, I only 
recently kind of got into that with my second language, and it's just a whole new world of possibilities. It is. I, I need to study how that works, because I want to, um, as I'm rewriting Iruo, I want to incorporate some of that. Somebody said I was lacking that. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, he said I was lacking some of the things that go along with ergativity, and that's one of them. But, uh, oh, okay. but anyway, um, I well, why don't we move on to um, our feedback segment? Because there are some feedbacks that I really want to talk about. So we got an email from a guy named Owen in Maine, USA. Not too far from you, Will. What? That's still pretty far. What are you talking actually, about? No, that's what actually entirely. <laughs> I I completely lied because I am <laughs> closer to you guys. I'm stupid. I was thinking. I I heard Maine. I was, I think I was thinking in the realm of Michigan, but it's actually much Michigan farther away. Would be closer from okay. Wisconsin. Anyway, he said male. Probably actually closer to me and Bianca. Actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he said, I discovered your podcast on uh, last weekend on iTunes, and I've been listening to all the episodes this week. Which, by the way, I'm glad that somebody found this through iTunes, because I didn't expect that. I really love what you're doing. Uh, I've been interested in conlanging and conworlding for almost 30 years, mostly in a vacuum, so it has been wonderful to hear you talking about the topic close to my own heart. I was fascinated to hear that, like me, you tend to use Google Docs or Excel-style spreadsheets for laying out your lexicons and grammars. I, I think he's talking sort of about me because I use Google Docs. I don't use spreadsheets, though. I used to use spreadsheets. um, He mentions LaTeX, and he said, I have just tried, I'm going to call this Lick. Licks. Yep. Yeah, on on Windows, L-Y-X, a WYSIWYG-style editor that outputs to PDF using tech. And I have to say it's very good and quite easy to produce basic like well well laid out documents so thanks for the heads up I'm I actually downloaded leak or what however you pronounce it mm-hmm. and um, it's a good program I like it but uh, I need to figure out how to make it function because um, there was something that failed to download during the installation. I think it's just some LaTeX libraries or something. Yes. And it won't print. So That's weird. Yeah, it won't print or or to the printer or to uh, uh, PostScript. I hadn't realized that this project was still live. If I had, I would have mentioned it during the thing because it, it, it gives you the best of of both worlds. It's a little more friendly for people who do not want to produce markup. Mm-hmm. But it gives you um, a lot of the, the really wonderfully um, tight and sophisticated typesetting that you get out of LaTeX. So. Well, I, keep, 
I keep wanting to get into the tech whenever I run into something I can't do on Neo Office. Mm-hmm. But then I figured out on Neo Office, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad at least it works here. It's, it's kind of hard to get around. Uh, I was trying out Lickr, and there's some things I still can't, like, I can't figure out how to do the the numbered examples like you see in, in grammars. Oh, that's that should be easy. Okay. Okay. That's but, weird. Um, uh, he also asks if we have any examples of our own personal context. He says he hears a lot of Nyauk. That's actually <laughs> that's actually Inyauk. That's Bianca's and Yeltach is mine. That's you spell it almost right. Instead of a GH I use an X. Yeah. Um but uh He uh, wants you guys to publish them too. Well I have mine online. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bianca, I'll I'll link to uh, I have a newer email. version that I can give you. Yeah, send, send me the link, put it on the dock, and I'll link to that. Yeltach, I don't have anything online up. By the time I publish this, I might have Airuyo online, but that's an entirely different language from Yeltach. I'm not working on Yeltach because it's in a, a world that I'm not working on at all right now, but uh, I could work up something on it. I have like I, a barely started grammar on it, so I might be able to work up some stuff. And uh, the last thing was he was saying, "I'm I'm not a linguist by any means. I tend to relate all my conlang knowledge via English, French, German, Dutch, and Esperanto, as these are the languages I know. I would." Love some tips from you on how to avoid making it, making my attempts at conlang sound like German, Spanish, and Latin. Learn Basque. Learn, <laughs> learn Basque. Learn Navajo. Learn, um, your, learn something learn non-IE. Yeah, learn, learn something non-Indo-European. And I that's, mean, yeah, learn. Positive. Learn it in the sense of get a good grammar, obviously, right? So the joke is that um, a linguist is somebody who checks out a book from the library on Friday and comes to work Monday saying they know Swahili. Yes. That's right. the guy you need to be. Yeah, but you don't really, of course, know Swahili. But, yeah. we, you don't, know, don't as conlangers, we know don't necessarily, it. we don't, you, you might suddenly discover that you want to learn, I don't know, Blackfoot or something. But these days, it is really easy to find large, detailed, well-glossed, grammars of endangered languages that operate altogether differently from Indo-European languages. Yeah. George, maybe I'll give you a few links just to include, you know, when you, when you post, it's so wonderful to find these things. Um, Wikipedia is surprisingly good, you know, decide we we've talked today about the Athabascan language family. Wikipedia has the Athabascan language family category, just look at all of those. Some of them will have links to really great resources. Some of them full grammars. Yeah. I mean, as long as you don't pick something absolutely obscure, Wikipedia will have at least some sort of information on it. I will say Wikipedia is better on grammatical features than on specific languages, just because Wikipedia articles can only be so long, you can't really put a full grammar on it. But they can give you a taste and, and, and 
very often we'll have reference links to very complete references. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's about the information. The same thing as I would say is go find some non-Indo-European languages and grammars. But it's great to see somebody talking to us and enjoying the podcast. Yay. I have one more uh, feedback. Let, let, let me add one thing. If you have access to a good library, see if you can get the book The Languages of Native North America from Cambridge Press by Marianne Mithune. It's a large, heavy tome. You probably don't want to buy it unless you feel that $60 is, is a good thing to spend on your conlanging habit. <laughs> but the first third or so of the book just talks about grammatical features that occur across this continent. And then the, the last two-thirds is summaries of various languages. That first third or so is a, an astonishingly dense wealth of information about different ways languages can do things. I cannot recommend it too highly for people who want to break out of the Indo-European mold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I may have to find that myself. <laughs> I, everyone should. It's just... It's just a, a, really, I, I can't recommend it too highly. It's a great book. Yeah. Just go out there and find languages... Look into what you're interested in. Um, so, we have one more other feedback. Which I loved. Yeah, that uh, William already responded to, but I thought we should tag this on the end of a show because it's fun. He said, this is from Roman Rausch. It was a comment on our uh, profanity episode, which if you haven't listened to that, Put it in your headphones and go listen to it right now, <laughs> because it was awesome. But anyway, he says, uh, this this is safe for work, by the way. But anyway, he says, Russian has retained both Indo-European roots for uh, fart. Uh, um, can you, do you know Russian pronunciation? I assume that's bzdet and perdet. It and uh, which correspond to Pez the silent fart and then Pear the loud fart um, or farting loudly, whatever. And the former is often used in the sense to be scared. So if you oh, fart, I love that so Russian, much. I love that so much. That you're yes. so scared, you give a little peep. But it makes sense. It makes sense because you lose control of your bowels when you're really, really scared. Okay, spoken like somebody who writes military fantasy novels. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so yes, that was a nice. That's a nice little bit of semantic spread. I like that a lot. Uh huh. Yeah, that's something. That's something important for conlangers to think about. As as much as it's a funny thing, it's like. You know, if you are going the diachronic method, at least, you need to know that words can have these very odd changes in meaning. 
I think my favorite one that if I ever, ever decided I got bored, wanted to do like a future version of English, I was going to have the word bastard shift into the word for people. <laughs> Good. I like that. That could happen. Yeah. It could it easily happen, happen in my idiolect. <laughs> so anyway, I think that wraps up what we have to say here. Uh, William, any parting wis- wisdom? Nope. Uh, Bianca? No wisdom here. Why do I ask all the time? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, if I had something to say, I'd be like, no, I have to say it now, George. <laughs> and okay. once it's shot that you in Klingon when you asked, so bad Klingon. Very bad Klingon, but Klingon nonetheless. <laughs> it's tagged on the end of the show anyway. Okay. <laughs> So, anyway, I will say, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Medeus. Thank you, thank you. I had, like, five birthday parties this week. Whoa, 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 whoa! (laughs) What in the world is going on with the... What is that noise? What noise? There's a horrible staticky sound. Yes. I don't know what's going on. I don't hear it. It's not my fault, is it? Every time you talk, it gets louder. Unplug and replug your headset. All right. <laughs> How's this? Uh, that's better. Okay. All right. Maybe it was just being retarded. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>